The ACDC Beyond the Thunder podcast is back in black. With your host, Kurt Squires, with Greg Ferguson and Eric Deal. For those about to talk, we salute you. Welcome to Season 3 of ACDC Beyond the Thunder, the podcast where we celebrate extraordinary fans who've been influenced in truly electrifying ways by this extraordinary band who go by just four letters, ACDC. And if you're listening to the show, then you too have likely been struck by the same lightning. We thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Kurt Squires, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is Eric Kielb sitting right over there in the control room alongside my co-pilot, fellow friend, Greg Ferguson. Now, Greg, today's guest actually reached out to us from Italy way back in 2010, who'd heard about our documentary film called ACDC Beyond the Thunder. Remember when we were trying to make that film, Greg? I mean, you, you say 2010, like that's over a decade ago. Right? It's really sad. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? What a trip this has been, for sure. Yeah, so we we sort of got the stiff arm, uh, which is why we love ACDC in the first place. They say no to just about everything. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, this guy goes by the name of Solo Dallas, an inventor, an obsessive music fan that claimed he was successful in copying the highly coveted ACDC philosophy, sound, and guitar tone that had otherwise been lost forever, a story spanning four decades, three continents, and eventually involving the world-famous Angus Young. Did you know this, Greg? I did not. I mean, this is a long time coming. This is I'm excited for this. This is going to be great. Yeah, and at the time, we were going for fairly well-known individuals to tell us about how ACDC had changed their life, but we soon discovered that the story itself can be just as important as the individual. Absolutely. So case in point, Filippo, Solo, Dallas, Olivieri, and Greg, when I first listened to this guy play, I have to tell you, I would put him up against anybody attempting to emulate the sound of Angus. Nobody can match him. If you were to listen to Phil and not see him jamming, you would swear that it was Angus Young himself. In fact, we've asked him to bring along his Gibson SG today to play for us throughout the show, which I'm pretty excited about. It'll be like our own private ACDC jukebox. <laughs> Kurt, as much as I love hearing you talk, I just want to hear Phil play. That's all I want to hear today. <laughs> well, without further ado, ACDC Beyond the Thunder welcomes the guy who discovered the missing link to Angus's elusive guitar tone, Solo Dallas. Phil, after all these years, ciao, baby. Hello, ciao to all. Thanks for having me. It's so great to finally connect with you after a decade. Uh, it was long time due that we finally could see each other and talk to each other after all these years. Yes. So I, I know you originally reached out to us from Italy. You were raised in Rome, but you were actually born in Dallas, Texas, right? I had that, uh, yeah, that joy in my life to be born in this great nation of ours, out of all places in Texas. And I was born in Dallas, actually. And that probably gives you a hint why the name of the company goes the way it goes. So did you come up with that moniker or is that something that was given to you? It was actually given to me. And this is the first time that someone understands that, that no human being sane in, in their minds could actually invent such a name unless they were given it. So it was given to me in Rome many, many years ago. And the reason to that name is that I used to look a little bit like Han Solo. Ah. You can't see it anymore in me. It's gone, baby. But that was there when I was younger. And then Dallas, because I was born in Dallas, Texas. So some of the Romans actually would, hey, Solo Dallas, something like that. But the thing got stuck. And I opened my first YouTube channel just, to, just for kicks. It was 2006. With that name and that YouTube channel actually got some uh, quite some success doing AC covers and stuff. Well, I was wondering because you have a logo, not unlike my logo for my agency I incorporate, 
the lightning bolt, because as you know, we've been so influenced by this band, we're going to take elements of what influences us and we're going to incorporate it, right? So you did the same thing. You have a lightning bolt in your logo. But I was also thinking, I wonder, he's got a Star Wars-like Han Solo thing going on too. 110%. The the theme of Star Wars uh, has always been with me because I grew up with it. I was there in the movie theater in 77. So just, you know, I don't know if our friends can see us, but I'm holding up in my hands uh, one of our products that came out in black and white just because it's Stormtrooper white and black. <laughs> so that reminded me of that. I love it. And the Storm is another name. It's the name of one of our products. And it's got to tell you something, the Stormtrooper. Perfect. What was life like before ACDC growing up in Rome? Tell us about that a little bit. Another very good question of yours, if I may, so, sir. It was nothing that had to do with rock and roll at all. You won't be surprised, probably, friends. Italy in the 70s, even the 60s, in the 80s and the 90s, probably even to this day, has never truly been a country that expresses uh, rock and roll out of its pores. So, and instead, when I was 10 or 11 years old, I still remember that day very clearly, a friend of mine brought me to a record store, and we both listened to uh, the album that was in the display window on that particular day. And so the guy put me the headphones through, and I started listening to... uh, uh, the live version uh, album, If You Want Blood, You've Got It, that had uh, come out probably the year prior. It's probably 1979, so I'm probably 11 years old when that happened. Yeah. And that was absolutely unique because there were no people whatsoever in Rome or in Italy in general that were listening to that kind of music. Sure. You know, rock and roll, sure. actually hard rock. It was absolutely you know, out of its place. Uh, people were more used to, and still to this day, the melodic Italian music. Right. Which is still there. We all know, oh, solely new, that kind of thing. Right. So you were bitten by the bug, and by 12 years old, you begged your mother to buy ACDC's Back in Black on cassette. And she does. You were living in Tuscany, maybe, at the time? You've done your research very well. I'm impressed. I, yes, I didn't yes. know you. <laughs> July 1980, during summertime, we actually, I was brought to one of the most incredible, beautiful regions in Italy, which is Tuscany, great sea and great beaches and stuff like that. So I was there and my mother was in Rome and she would come periodically just to see how I was. So I begged to be able to get the state that had just come out days prior. And we knew that was coming out because I must have seen some advertisements or something in the magazine. And so she brings me this tape cassette, which was black with the orange label. I will never, I still have that in Rome somewhere with my parents. And so she brings me that. I still remember the effect of the first listen of that album, because in fact, I kept on listening to that album for the entirety of my life. Wow. That was a different version, if I remember. It opens with Back in Black instead of Hell's Bells, right? The Italian version. Bravissimo, yes. Uh, it was very strange. Now we're all used to having Hell's Bells open. But at the time, that particular version, I don't know if it was the Italian or just, you know, the Italians like to do things differently. <laughs> Tell you something you don't know. But so yeah, Back in Black was actually the first song. So imagine having never heard before in your life those sounds. I knew ACDC, of course. I, had, I was a great fan. I had been a great fan for a couple of years. I had bought all the things I could possibly uh, purchase, which was just the original records in tape format, not in vinyl, because that was the only way I could listen to that for myself with a Sony Walkman that had been brought by my father from the U.S. when he was going repeatedly working in the U.S. and coming back to Italy. Oh, cool. So I was a pioneer of that kind of thing. So I had that Walkman. Um, imagine the effect of that tempo counting, that count off, and then boom. Ba, 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 like that. I'll say this in Italian, mamma mia. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. No, I think we were all hit by that same sonic quality of Back in Black that no one has honestly ever quite achieved ever again. Since we have you at our disposal, Phil, 
play us a little bit of something off Back in Black. How about, can we just name anything and, and you just know it? Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's uh, pretend that that's, that's the case. <laughs> okay. How about let's do Have a Drink on Me and bring us back to what you heard out of those 12-year-old ears at that time. Awesome. That was awesome. I think I was I was just transported back to 1980. I don't know about you, Greg. So cool. Thank you, Phil. We'll we'll get to some more playing throughout the program, ladies and gentlemen. That that was pretty sweet. I still live in 1980. I said I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> you you obviously learned how to play guitar, spending countless hours dissecting the Young Brothers songs and equipment they used to achieve that signature sound. And, and you start, like you said, making these YouTube videos sharing secrets that you had learned. So you set up a site. Was it a solo Dallas site? And you just start growing this community? Is that what happened? That's, that's pretty much exactly what happened. And the reason why it happened in a certain order was because first I just threw this uh, YouTube channel. In 2006, YouTube had just opened. It was brand new. I was in Rome. And I would go on YouTube. I, th I thought it was fascinating to finally see other people from the world, specifically, let me tell you, from my beloved America. I wanted to be in touch with America and Americans as much as I could possibly be in touch with them. In fact, uh, listeners, if you want to YouTube solo Dallas, you will quickly go down a rabbit hole of ACDC <laughs> awesomeness. And when I first saw you play on YouTube, I thought three things. One, you had the passion. Two, you had the precision, and three, you had the facial expressions. They were priceless. You looked like Angus playing, and actually, four, you always have flip-flops on. Are you wearing flip-flops right now? That's, that's not an Angus thing. So it's not, <laughs> I think it's an American thing. I'm going to say it out loud like it's an American thing. I'm trying to the Texan draw. I that was a that. Texas draw. I love that. You, you were actually if we can go back a second to that YouTube question, you know, it's very important. So I started seeing American folks playing guitar and many of those songs were actually ACDC uh, songs. One thing I noticed, many of those folks actually would play electric guitar with tons of distortion. Right. And they would play ACDC songs with tons of distortion. And I cringed. <laughs> What did I know in 2006 about what I know today and being able to actually work with ACDC and many other incredible artists? But still, this thing I had figured out, it was about the amps, a specific style of amp, a specific style of playing, and the, uh, and I'm going to say it now, the clean, dirty sound. And this, I didn't create this phrase, this Angus told me. That sounded like an oxymoron, the clean, dirty sound. <laughs> That's how they call it. I love it. They call it the clean, dirty. Malcolm and Angus. And not only them. Uh, uh, when I met Tony Platt. Engineer, yeah. The guy that uh, engineered Highway to Hell and, and uh, Back in Black and Flick of the Switch. Tony also told me, yeah, they call it, with his incredible British accent, they call it the, uh, the clean, dirty sound, Phil. Oh. Clean, dirty. You're, you're full of accents today. You started collecting vintage guitars and amplifiers and studio equipment in an attempt to reproduce the iconic sounds of ACDC's heyday. Initially, you bought the wrong guitar, the wrong strings, the wrong amplifier, the wrong speakers. Uh, out of curiosity, how much money have you spent searching the sound of ACDC? I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I never counted it. I do not want to know. I don't want to investigate that <laughs> aspect of my life. I haven't been spending money on that thing. Oh, my God. Still, we're investing in the company, bringing out more technologies. Uh, as of recently, we brought out the, uh, the pickups, <clears throat> which we think are close to production of what was used back then. So I, I'm not done yet. 
You're still tinkering. I love it. Yes, sir. All your observations were right uh, regarding the, the steps uh, that I uh, that I made in trying to recreate recreate the sound. Well, you eventually had all the right equipment and nearly mastered Angus Young's technique, but still something was missing. And that searing guitar tone that we all know and love from the 70s and 80s that really ha- gave you that visceral reaction when you were a kid was still missing. Tell us how you found it. Another very good question of yours, sir. Uh, thank you. So 100 guitars later, <laughs> and having been in London meeting uh, Tony Platt after a whole lot of research that lasted for years and years, frankly. I even bought the same microphones that were used to... Uh, record back because we're talking about Neumann microphones and vintage Neumanns at that <sighs> one of which being incredible still my favorite but I had to sell it after the thing but it's the Neumann U67 I think it's about twelve fifteen thousand dollars today to purchase that thing <laughs> wow they've been out of production it's a tube microphone the tubes are not produced anymore so all the unique circuits that are inside it are super rare and, and all that I I was so so when YouTube came about 2006, I hear these kids or, you know, 50 years old kids, aren't we all? <laughs> and, and the sound was still not there. At that point in time, I had some understanding of that because I had made so many mistakes. So much money had been spent. Yeah. Even I had purchased an amplifier from Eric Johnson, the Eric Johnson. Wow. Texas. I'm still going after that particular amplifier because I sold it, made a mistake. I didn't know what I had, and I'm going to say, Eric, if you're listening, damn it, dude. <laughs> I purchased from him a wonderful 1968, probably, JTM 50. Wow. Which is the ACDC amp. I didn't know. You didn't know. Nobody knew. No, nobody knew. Nobody, not even Eric. Wow. Nobody knew but Angus, probably, or Malcolm. And if you ask Angus Young, uh, Angus, well, what are the amplifiers? Can you tell me? That's small one with a logo. <laughs> ah. <laughs> right. Angus doesn't use pedals or effects or anything, right? And at the time, you're like, okay, what is the missing ingredient? Right. And, and you bring us with this question. Thank you very much for putting us back on track here. <laughs> the secret ingredient was this unthinkable thing called the Schaefer Vega Diversity System. Super complex name. Right. What is it? It was Angus Young's wireless system. You had found this eventually in a 1984 guitar player magazine where someone had asked Angus, what do you use for effects? And he said, I don't. I just use the Schaefer Vega diversity system, which is a wireless device. Why would he use a wireless device in the studio? Uh, It's a good point that you make. His brother, George Young, that has been, had been their mentor, their producer, and their teacher as well. So George Young was a huge, huge figure in the Young clan. And we must remember this. It's just the fifth Beatle for the Beatles. Right. George Martin. This guy is George Young instead. He's the older brother of the two guitarists from ACMC. During the recording of Powerage album in the studio, the sound wasn't happening. So George goes to Angus and says... What are you using on stage? Why do you sound so great on stage and you're not sounding as great here? Yeah. And Ang goes, I'm using the thing. I'm using a wireless thing. Oh, you mean Angus box? Because they used to call it Angus box. The Angus box. I was told by my my friend, Malcolm uh, Young's uh, son, Ross told me, you know how they used to call this, Phil? Angus box. Wow. That's funny. So you began scouring the globe for this Schaefer Vega system, and there were only a thousand of these things made. So it wasn't easy, but you eventually found, your Google search found that David Gilmour was using it for the wall, and others like Eddie Van Halen and Santana, Keith Richards and Frampton and Zappa, and even Ace Frehley of Kiss were using this device, um, who in fact was he started using it because didn't he get shocked on stage? And he's like, I need to find something wireless so this doesn't happen again. I don't pass out. Entirely 110% correct. Your research is really brilliant. <laughs> Even no better than Angus, the production years of some of his guitars, he, he doesn't really know. Right. So I was 
out of desperation because I was hearing more. I was I was hearing a chunky sound. Right. We were all hearing plenty of sustain. And some people thought, ah, it's studio magic. There is no such thing in the studio magic. No. You can't fake these things. The sound, it's either there and it's either there at the source and I'm quoting Tony Platt or it's not there. You can't make it. You can't invent it. When I discovered that uh, Van Halen was actually describing the characteristics of the Schaefer Vega, because he said there's there's uh, several components on the transmitter and several on the receiver. And that is going to make the guitar sing. Also, Angus Young had said that in that particular interview for the 10th time. I was reading the same interviews over. I had everything online, off magazines. I got everything. So I read this. Oh, my God, this is it. This is it. You found the holy grail. This is it. I need to have one. So I start researching. Months and months go by. I cannot find a single unit. A single Schaefer rate cannot be found. <laughs> Why? We discovered that only a thousand had been made, and those systematically went to only the people that could afford it back then. Because it was about $25,000 of today's money to purchase one of those systems. So only the rock stars could actually afford that. Wow. And some of those guys were actually young folks, just like ACDC, could barely afford in 1977. Sure. The amazing thing is you finally tracked this guy down, the guy who invented this device, Ken Schaefer. I did. He was still very alive and well in New York City. And what was that meeting like? I tried to get in touch with Ken Schaefer by writing an email randomly looking online. No response. So I uh, purchased a, um enrollment with LinkedIn. I paid 25 bucks just to write one email. I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things is I submit to Ken Schaefer my blog with all my research that I've done. Mm -hmm. When I wrote him, I already purchased uh, a couple of units that were subsequent production after the Schaefer Vega, but just CTEC Vega. They were similar looking enough for the small stamp sized pictures that I could find online. There was nothing about the Schaefer Vega, just a very small picture of uh, David Gilmore's SVDS on a live date next to a bunch of amps and stuff. So I had that one picture only that wow. I could go after. And I could see that there were three knobs yep. and one input jack and a VU meter. I could see that. So I buy a few of the CTEC Vegas that were not conceived for guitar playing. So Schaefer sees this research on the blog, says, I cannot believe what you've done. I cannot believe I didn't even know that people used this device, my device, yeah. in albums, in studio recordings. So you had no idea folks were, were using it other than uh, live performance. When I said, listen, Ken, I can see on the blog there's a bunch of people that are interested in this sound. Because I, I purchased a couple of units from him. I went to San Diego to get them. So I go and take these units and uh, I go back to uh, Rome and I... I had to, you know, modify them a little bit because, I mean, 40 years actually had gone by since the last time that they had been used. And still they worked very well. And I was able to demonstrate to that public from the blog that that was the sound. Wow. This leads to you launching your effects pedal company called Solo Dallas. And one reviewer called it Instant Angus, which is so awesome. It was Mike Melinda, editor-in-chief of uh, Guitar Player Magazine. Uh, when we sent him a tower uh, to review, uh, he plugged it in, and then he wrote back immediately to Ken Schaefer and myself, Phil, this is Instant Angus. Oh, brilliantly put. We asked him, can we keep this, Mikey? He said, yeah, sure, go ahead. Wow. So this saturated, massive guitar tone that we all hear for the first time, on ACDC's fan favorite Powerage, right? Let's hear something off Powerage to absorb that glorious tone that you finally discovered, Phil. And since we're playing ACDC roulette, what would you like Phil to play, Greg? What do you think? Oh, I get to play. This is this is cool. Yeah. Um, how about what's next to the moon? Oh, you know that's nice one. Why not? Let's try and improvise that one too. <laughs> cool. <laughs>
Wow. That's astounding, man. Oh, I love it. All that hard work finally paid off, Phil. Thank you, sir. You shared this discovery with your community, your solo Dallas community. So everybody wants one, right, after this. And then what did you name it? Did you name it after Ken Schaefer? I did because I think that it was the right thing to do. It was the appropriate thing to do. I wanted to pay respect to this guy because this guy left the music industry in 1981. He went on to NASA to working for NASA. So Wow, of course. I was very humble. <laughs> uh, when he introduced the Schaefer Vega, the other wireless systems were, quite frankly, inferior. Right. But he did not uh, patent uh, any uh, of this. And so, of course, it became just public domain. And, uh, you know, all the other wow. companies after that, they, they took advantage of this, of course, which is something that happens frequently in the uh, industry and the technology world. So he is not uh, embittered by this at all. But when I met him, I said, babe, I'm going to make a difference here. So I'm going to call it with you. I'm going to give you the copyright to the name because it contains your name. And I'm going to sign a contract with you to bring this back to the market. And, and he liked it. How cool. Yeah. So you reverse engineered all of his technology and just kind of brought it to the world. Yes, that's, that's what we set out to do. It wasn't easy, guys. So I'm going to tell you because the, it's a frequency modulation technology. So it's very obscure to today's engineers. That's amazing. And so you discovered that this was the signature sound of ACDC that they had used from roughly 77 to 84. So if we're keeping track here, um, Power Age, Highway to Hell, Back in Black, for those about to rock, and Flick of the Switch. Why did, why did it get lost? Just, what happened, do you think? No, we know for sure about this. And actually, we just found out, I think, a month ago that it was used by ACDC at least up until 1988. And so did David Gilmer of the Pink Floyd Band. Okay. I would not have guessed uh, Blow Up Your Video. That That's not the best sounding album. Me neither. Yeah. Me neither. I, I didn't think so. Yeah. I, I didn't think I heard it. And, and yet we just got official documentation by the engineer that helped to record it that he said Angus was in the bathroom out of all places. If you guys have been in stu recording studios and stuff, you know that many engineers actually go in the bathrooms yeah, because of this special reverberation. That so he was actually recording a solo in the bathroom and it was there thanks to the Schaefer. And it says that specifically. Wow. The Schaefer at that time had been with them 11 years. Yeah. What kind of, what technology can possibly withstand the abuse that Angus Young throwing himself on the stage and stuff like that, crashing it was. It went out of production in '81, so they kept on using and repairing and fixing those old. Oh, I see. I see. Now that you've discovered the sound, can you give us an example of what ACDC sounds like before and after using your system? Yeah. That would yeah, be absolutely. awesome. How about something off Highway to Hell? Since Mutt Lang himself also adored this live wireless Schaefer system. Greg, what do you got for us off of this classic LP you want to hear? Oh, boy. How about uh, either beating around the bush or get it hot? Oh, he's going deep cuts. Let's go for beating around the bush. I'm going to try and improvise yeah. that one. <laughs> so let's try first without... That's without... That's just a Marshall amp. And it's, by the way, the, the JTM-50, which we know was used in those recordings. Let's try now with the Schaefer in the loop. What a difference, man. That's cool. I hope the difference come, comes through. I've always been super stressed in demonstrating because it's very evident when you're in the flash in person in the room and you're playing it because it's quite a feel uh, effect to play with. It's just in your face. You know, it's like when you hear ACDC, it's always in your face. And just with the stomp box that you'd created, 
instantly in your face. And I, it sounded amazing. So as the uh, resident audio engineer on the podcast, I've been dying to, to jump in and I'll try not to go too, too much down in the weeds. Uh, a couple of us here are guitar pedal nerds, but I think even now the, the just regular ACDC fan or rock fan knows that, you know, you got a guitar and you got an amp and then a lot of people use pedals and stuff. So now what we have is we have this missing link, like literally wireless link. A lot of times in rock things were invented to do something else. I mean, how many things in Abbey Road Studios did the Beatles repurpose for special things? Without going too much into the circuit diagram of this wireless unit, what do you think the things about the sound are? I mean, is it how much of it is like EQ or is it like boosting the signal level or could you give like kind of like a high level of what effects a Schaefer replica is having? I actually struggled with it and my English to describe what it did because the Schaefer Vega actually was used for a variety of instruments, including bass. So there, there are very famous bass players that used it. And one of such guys, for example, is my good friend, Rudy Sarzo, that I'd like to uh, say hello to today. But also Phil Lineup of Them Lazy was a, was a user of the, of the Schaefer. So the guitar uh, starts uh, getting inside uh, the, uh, the transmitter. I have eliminated the wireless transmission. So nowadays, virtual transmitter and the virtual receiver in, in, inside of our units, there's no transmission anymore. They just talk electronically. So there's no signal loss at all whatsoever. As the guitar signal or as the signal comes in, the first thing you find is a limiter. So, and that is very interesting because the limiter will give you a little of a slap. It's going to smack you somehow. And it's probably the reason why some funky guitar players also use this. So let's not forget that uh, the Chic or Earth, Wind, and Fire, they both use this on guitar. And that certainly is not for overdriven guitar. It's just for clean guitar. You can get some very clean... I'm not going to be able to do it now, probably because my amp, volume of my amp is already in saturation mode itself. But definitely you can get some amazing spanking clean sounds. So the first thing you find is the limiter. And after the limiter, uh, you find a compressor. So the limiter will bring the signal within a certain uh, spectrum. The compressor then will try and compress a little bit just Everything is done very mildly. So there's no over, you know, abundant uh, uh, amount of anything. We think that it's part of, the, of a great recipe uh, coming down to guitar tone. It's never the excessive. It's always stacking up reasonable amounts of goodness. You have a compressor. Why the compressor, Phil? Because the compressor was part of this circuitry called the compander. It's a technical terminology that's still used in the industry of uh, wireless transmissions. You compress first and you will expand at the receiver side. Please remember, this is all analog. There's no digital, nothing. You open up the original circuits of the uh, Schaefer Vega, you, there's thousands of circuitry there. Good luck with that. When I opened it, finally in San Diego, oh, I got it. I'm so happy. What am I going to do with this? I don't know. <laughs> There's no equalization inside, so I want everyone to know. We don't alter the sound with any whatsoever equalization. We do use the original or very similar to the original, in some cases, new old stock, op amps, which are the very early types of non-digital, it's still analog, but processors of, of sound. I think one of the most distinctive things is what was hacked into by Angus, and it's the amplifier that came with the system. So guys, listen to this. The amplifier was supposed to be used by a sound engineer on the stage just to monitor the signal. You were not supposed to come out of that particular output. Now that had a volume. Well, that is a super powerful internal amplifier with the unit. Angus and a bunch of other guys, including Van Halen, they realized that if they came out not from the actual output and raising the volume, there you have the first clean boost in the history of rock and roll. I think I'm salivating to hear a little bit more from Mr. Solo <laughs> Dallas after all of this technical talk. Um, can you play something off my favorite ACDC album for those about to rock? How about either Put the Finger on You or Spellbound? Either one of those I'll be happy with. 
I like both of your choices naturally, but let's go with the first one. And the first one is actually very interesting because it introduces formally into a song, and that's part of the English Young's technique, which I think is extremely relevant, and especially in those years, but it introduces that finger picking that we are we heard just one time prior and we heard it uh, during a solo. So we're hearing something like this. The first time we heard something like that was in the uh, Shoot to Thrill solo, where you had the... Ah, uh, yes. Nice. So he started playing with that kind of stuff back then. Yes. In 1980. You haven't heard anything like that prior. Come from no. That. There's no such finger I would have hell or even earlier. So he found that he liked very much that. And don't forget that always in For Those About to Rock, that finger picking is massive in another song. Amazing. You know, that sounded so good. I, I For some reason, it never quite sounds the same live when he's playing that picking. But when you just did it right there, it sounded like the LP. And thank you for that. Uh, live is a different... I wish we could go all together, the four of us, now. We could project ourselves on the stage next to Angus. <laughs> Guys, the amount of loudness there is on that stage is non-human. Right. It, it's, it's, it's insane. <laughs> Here's a question for you, Phil. What, what is your favorite Angus Young solo? And what's the hardest solo to play? I'd see if you can fig- hit my favorite. Angus solo. Every solo from Angus Young, I need to stress this, is uber difficult. People think ACDC are easy. Thank you very much for giving me the chance of saying this. I've been willing to scream this for years and years. People say, when you tell them, I like ACDC, ah, yeah, that's basic stuff. Oh, yeah? It's basic? Can you please play something for me, ACDC related? Can we listen together and how credible that comes out to be? when you actually talk with people that actually are out there and play, they know how hard, how tough it is to get. Tell uh, tell those guys that do the covers, the uh, Foo Fighters, for example, or, or Muse, you know, they, they both tried several times to get the songs going. Yeah. Or, or Guns N' Roses, for that matter. I've, I've been with Guns N' Roses. Uh, Richard Fortas is my beloved friend and customer. Wow. Also Slash has one of our towers. I can Amazing. say it. It's public. Have you heard a uh, whole lot of Rosie done by Guns N' Roses as opposed by ACDC? Yep. Not even close. It's very hard to play like ACDC. It's immensely hard. Every member of the band has to be at the tip-top shape and form. It's physical. It's mental. You cannot be not focused 110% in it. Every single member of the band for every song, every second. This is so amazing that your dream to find this sound led to something else. And this is probably my favorite part of the story. You know where I'm going with this. And what came next is one of the greatest moments of your life, which involves Mr. Angus Young. Please tell us what happened next. Essentially, it goes like this. My friend Susan Massino tells me that she has a connection uh, with Angus. We know that Angus is interested in meeting us to get one of our prototype products because a fan of Angus named Peter in Czechoslovakia. Peter is now a longtime friend of mine, by the way. 
he had written to the address in Belgium, uh, in actually in Holland, sorry. Peter knows the address. I don't. I never investigated that kind of stuff. But So Peter writes uh, Angus and Ella in that house saying, this crazy Italian guy has this thing. You need to hear it. It's great. It's going to give you the sound back. Literally, something like that. How cool. So Angus weirdly reads the letter. Who does that when you have millions of fans? Who who gets a paper letter <laughs> in 2011 and actually reads it? I don't know, but it happened. Wow. This happened. We know that they're willing to hear this, but I, we don't know how to get in touch with them. Susan says, hey, I have the, the number of the manager. Yeah. Okay, I know them. So she gives it to us, and Ken Schaefer uh, gets in touch with them because Ken used to be friends with ACDC. Then they right. just fell out of touch because life got in the way, 40 years of life in the way. Wow. Angus slept in Ken Schaefer's apartment in New York. Oh, no kidding. Yes. And and Ken Schaefer was actually brought by Bond on the shoulders because Ken got drunk. Ken was a kid of 27 years of age, and he got drunk in Glasgow during the, the days that uh, If You Want Blood, You've Got It was recorded. He was there. Wow. I did not know that. So Kenny gets in touch. Angus says, oh, wow, come on, meet us here, right here in Vancouver, Canada. And Kenny said, oh, my God, uh, he called us. We have this date. Let's go. And I go, no, oh, I'm, I'm not coming. You freaked out. I'm not coming. I freak out. Never meet your heroes, ever. That should be a rule. In- right. You know, don't go meet your heroes. I was terrified. Right. And he said, if you don't come, I'm going to come and pick you up and roll. Okay, you coward. And I said, all right, all right, I'll come. So I book a plane, meet in Vancouver, and that's the first time I actually get to meet Ken Schaefer in the flesh, guys. Oh, wow. We had had phone calls uh, until then, right? Because I I was in Italy and Kenny was in New York. So we enter at the the, uh, appointment is at 6 p.m. Unfortunately, we get there a little early and we are just so anxious that we cannot even wait outside the door. So I buzz, we enter, we're welcomed. We go up to the studio, I think it's uh, A or I forget. So we walk the stair and I find them all sitting down at the table having dinner. Wow. I was terrified by my English. Will I make it? Will I be able to express myself with my hero? I don't know. <laughs> and the thing is that we see them at the table having dinner and I blast myself. Oh, God, I should have waited 10 more minutes. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why did we get there 10 minutes early? They're still eating. Blast me. <laughs> so they stand up. Ella stands up and, oh, oh, it's you guys. Yeah, good, good. Uh, would you like to have something that I can offer you some rice or something? Wow. At that moment, I'm so panicked that uh, I said, whatever gets in my mouth, maybe it's going to ease it up and it's going to help me out. So, yes, please, ma'am. Because I go, ma'am. Right. No, 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 no. Call me Ella. Everyone calls me, calls me Ella. Of course, of course. How sweet. So I got to see head of the table between Ella on my right and Angus on my left. Okay. Next to Angus, there is Ken Schaefer and Stevie Young, Angus' nephew. Who's now replaced Malcolm for the first time on the album, right? Yeah. Right. Sure. Malcolm was still alive, of course, but he was at the hospital for things. So right. we talked extensively about Malcolm and, and the and, you know, and Angus' worries and all. I sit there head of the table, and we start looking at each other, smiling. Ah, so we're here. Ah. And I got my bag, of course, with my with a prototype. I can't wait to break it out because yeah. I don't know what to say. Can you feel the tension rising? <laughs> I can see Kurt actually biting his nail. Oh, yeah, man. I'm so nervous for you. <laughs> I love it. I love this. So I'm, I'm next to my hero. I don't know what to say. I can't wait to be able to say something. Thank God, Ken Schaefer, who does speak very good English, because he's American. Right. So he starts talking about this and that, and, you know, we start cheering and laughing. And so the observation that Ken Schaefer uh, makes to Angus is, you know, Phil was able to hear the guitar in the center position between the left and the right speaker guitar and determined that that had the Schaefer on it. What? If you noticed, guys... You have an additional third guitar always, at all times, almost always, in the center position of your stereo spectrum of any studio album ACDC, including the very early ones from 74, 75. Sorry, it's technical. 
and probably some people have fallen asleep by now, but he <laughs> repeats the story to Angus, and Angus looks at me in surprise, like, blown away, he's like, ah, you heard that? You were able to, ah, oh, wow. So he was actually surprised, and I took the chance, I grabbed it, and I started, you know, talking about it, and what I heard, and how I heard it, and and I can see my hero nodding back at me. The cool thing that I read is that the recipient of your number 001 unit was bequeathed to Angus himself, which was so cool. And tell us what happened when he plugged that thing in. What was the first thing that happened? We don't know. We don't know because we were not allowed to turn on the amp. Rick St. Pierre had been serving 30 years as amplifier tech and guitar tech. Well, mostly amplifier tech for Mockham. Uh, and then, of course, Malcolm wasn't there anymore. So Angus started using Rick St. Pierre as a amp tech and then guitar tech. So Rick says, let's go into the recording room, but we can't take any pictures of your, you guys, you know, because it's top secret now. Right. Got NDA signed yeah. and everything. Right. You say right. I didn't bring the camera, but Ken Schaefer kept on taking pictures. Good right? old Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> well, Angus got his sound back. I mean, we don't play anything electrically uh, in that day, but I get to play several of Angus guitars. You, you guys, you've seen the rack of, of yeah. guitars, Angus guitars. See, I stutter now because I think <laughs> about it, I start stuttering. Mouthwatering like you, uh, Kurt. So uh, I see all those eight, nine guitars right there in front of me. Oh my God. And I go and, and I, I picked a few, all right? So the ones that we all know are most famous, the one with the bolts and stuff. And I was ready to be blown away. It's got to be a magic guitar. My hero only uses magic stuff. Right. No, he uses regular guitars, regular strings. The magic is Angus Young. Thank you for saying it so I don't have to this time. Wow. That is too <laughs> crazy. What an experience. You're in Vancouver with your hero and your dream has come true. I have to say, when I heard Rocker Bust, the opening riff to that title track, it sounded different. It sounded raw. It sounded that clean, dirty, like you're talking about. One of my favorite unsung tracks off of Rocker Bust is the last track, which is Emission Control. It's like this funky riff that sounds like something out of a Stevie Wonder single from the 70s. Can I stump you with that one, Phil? But of course. Man, we yeah. can't we cannot stump you tonight. Dude, deep, deep cuts cannot defeat this man. Thank you, Phil. Once word got out that you had helped Angus refine the, the signature ACDC sound, you were immediately hit with a barrage of requests from pretty famous guitarists. I'm going to name some. I have Foo Fighters, Muse, Steve Stevens, Richard Fortas, which you mentioned before, Ronnie Wood of the Stones, Dweezil Zappa, our good friend, Tony Iommi, Richie Faulkner of Judas Priest, Green Day, Johnny Lang, Neil Sean, Sting, Lenny Kravitz. I mean, seriously, ACDC really did change your professional life, right? Completely. Not only professional, but personal, because that was the project that allowed me to come back to my beloved country, the United States of America. Without this project, I wouldn't be here. I would still be in Rome speaking, uh, blah, blah, blah. What's the matter you? <laughs> <laughs> So this device received the Editor's Pick Award in June of 2015, issue of Guitar Player, and Standalone Effect was selected for inclusion in Guitar Player Magazine's 2015 Hall of Fame. So we wanted to say congrats for that. We're so impressed with what you've done with your company, and if you wanted to tell people where to go, would it be, is it solodallas.com? Yes, sir. Precisely. Phil, you've, you've shown us firsthand how ACDC has influenced your life, but can you describe to our audience why you feel ACDC has influenced our culture in so many wonderful ways around the globe and what ACDC Beyond the Thunder is all about? How would you put it into your own words? I know exactly. It's great music. It's immensely hard to recreate and even replicate, not only in the sounds. You know, the sounds are a byproduct of the frequencies of the gear that it's related to this. And certainly it is uh, important. But the songs, the way they were written, the way they were arranged, 
and most importantly, the way they were played, irreplicable, a miracle in history, in time. These poor guys coming from dirt, from nothing, they made it, and they made it because their stuff is amazing, and it, it beat the test of time, and it's classic stuff that's not dated. And you can listen to Back in Black, as I do, almost on a daily basis, and, <laughs> and still love it, and you still get the same blast. You know, it's still emotion. I still get the goosebumps when I when I hear that. Man, why? Because they played it with the goosebumps and with the excitement. And it takes a whole lot of talent and a number of years to develop that. It's incredibly hard. And to be able to do that as a group of people playing together, like they do, hitting the same note at the same time, the same microseconds matter. Some, you know, we, we're hearing that this or that matters. This stuff matters. That stuff, I'll tell you, microseconds matter. There, I said it. Wow. Oozing the passion through the microphone right there, man. What a great answer. Why is that so, Kurt? Because it took me so long to get to all of this as a dream of a child that it's still in here. You could see the child. It's there. So the inner child is so happy because it took so long to discover all of this brick by brick, step by step. The hard work, it's how it's done. They are masters at this. And they are universal, and it will last forever. Well said, man. Well said. Well, Phil, again, <laughs> this has been so awesome to finally get to connect with you after all of these years. Thank you so much for joining us today. And no episode of ACDC Beyond the Thunder would be complete if we didn't ask our final Jeopardy question, which is if you had to describe ACDC in just one word, Mr. Solo Dallas, what say you? Energy. Perfect. That's a good one. Time to flick the switch on this episode. So, Phil, maybe you would be so kind as to play us out with Flick of the Switch. Yes, of course. Awesome, my friend. ACDC Beyond the Thunder theme song, Trailer Trash, written and performed by Gannon Arnold. VO Talent by Bruce Jacobson. Cinematography and sound recording by Greg Ferguson. Edited and mixed by Eric Keel. Written, directed, and hosted by Kurt Squires. Produced by Greg Ferguson, Eric Keel, and Kurt Squires. ACDC Beyond the Thunder is a Squires LLC current motion production. Copyright Beyond the Thunder podcast, all rights reserved. This has been a Nat Attack presentation. Shazbot Nanu Nanu.